Please find the first epistle of Timothy, of Paul to Timothy. I'm reading from the first chapter. This is a sermon on the truth of service. The first chapter, I think I'll read verses 12 through 14, but really the entire uh, chapter is the text, the basis of the sermon, so please keep it handy there for um, reference in just a moment. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because He considered me faithful, putting me into His service. If you have a King James Bible, the real one, the real Bible, um, that word is ministry there. He put me in the ministry. Um, Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, and yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. I thank God, I thank Christ that He put me in service. The habitual gratitude of the Apostle Paul was that God counted him faithful and put him in the ministry. Unfortunately, when we see that word, service or ministry, we think of a preacher or a youth minister, an educational minister, a minister of music, somebody on the church staff. But when Paul wrote this, he he wasn't thinking of some ecclesiastical office. It's easy for you to say, I thank God that He put you in the ministry and put me as a spectator. But when He was when He wrote this, He He, he uses a word that that's a general term, which means a, a service that embraces everything. He wasn't talking about some ecclesiastical function. That that's, it came to be that later on. What He was talking about was He's in essence He was saying, I just I'm thankful to God that He called me to serve Him. And this ministry, our service, is, is really an outgrowth of salvation. And it means, this is going to be a somewhat of a shock, too, perhaps too much of a shock to some of you. It means that whenever you were saved, you were called to the ministry. Strange as that sounds, A call to salvation is a call to the ministry. In the late 60s or in the mid-70s, there was a great deal of reform occurring in the country, and that reform got over into the church, and the lay renewal movement began at that time in in essence and in in power, and and, and, uh, there was a great deal of reforming going on. A man by the name of Finley Edge wrote a book that was literally, that really shattered us, the title of which was The Greening of the Church. And in this book he talks about the fact that everybody who has been saved at the time they were saved were called to the ministry. I want to read just an excerpt out of that book. Listen to it. Every Christian 
is called to be a minister and has a ministry which must be performed under the judgment of God. This means that the call to salvation and the call to the ministry is one and the same call. That is, when one is called by God to be a part of his people, he is also called into the ministry. Young people often struggle with the question as to whether or not they are, quote, called into the ministry. From one perspective, this is a completely irrelevant question. If a person has been called by God to be a Christian, then he has been called into the ministry. Here is the key. This means that the primary responsibility for God's ministry in the world is not the responsibility of the laity. It is, not the, is the responsibility of the laity and not the clergy. Why is it that I had to mess up the kicker? Let <laughs> me say that again, see if I can get it right. This means that the primary responsibility of God's ministry in the world is the responsibility of the laity and not the clergy. Now the truth about ministry involves three things. First, this. That our service, our call to service, or our ministry, is not the result of some preacher getting up in a pulpit and beating everybody over the head with a Bible and, you know, and getting them on a guilt trip and threatening them that if they don't, you know, do God's work, they're going to answer to God in the judgment. It's not the result of that. I, I heard about this guy who, uh, his preacher was after him all the time to, you know, to, to, to witness. And he was kind of shy and introverted and he, he, he didn't know what to say, but he felt so bad because the preachers always make him feel guilty about not witnessing. And he'd been to this soul winning campaign and, 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 and he was just, you know, worked up over that, you know, and he was so guilty, feeling so guilty, and he's thinking to himself, a preacher's not going to like me if I don't witness. And he, he was a barber, and so one morning he had, his, had old Fred stretched out on this barber chair, had him lathered up, had the, had the barber's cloth over him, and he was stropping up his razor, and he's thinking to himself, he's just screwing up this courage to try to witness to old Fred, guilty and ashamed that he had never done it before. And, and finally he screwed up enough courage and he approached Fred with a razor like this. He said, Fred, are you ready to die? <laughs> and, and the last thing they saw Fred was, he, his, his, his uh, barber's cape was you know, stretched out like Batman and, 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 and leather was flying off his face as he as he was running down Main Street. I know some people who feel like, well, the reason I need to do this is because, you know, I'm just a terrible person if I don't. And our service is not the result of our pitying a poor lost world. I read recently an alarming statistic that for every 50 people that surrender to the mission field, only one makes it. Now, I don't know why people surrender to missions. And I don't know why they don't make it out there. But I know part of the reason why is because our, our commitment many times to, to be a missionary is an emotional uh, enthusiasm that's generated when people tell us about this lost and dying world and they paint these pictures and well they should of a suffering world that's destitute and hungry and poor. 
And out of emotional, an emotional enthusiasm, we make a promise that we were never called to do, so we never make it out there. And our response to service is not so that we can be better than the next church down the road. Let me tell you something, folks. A little confession. A whole lot. It will shock you how much goes on in church programming in order that we might be better than the church down the street. I heard about uh, this black church down in New Orleans that had this big sign. It said, the, great, the Greater Macedonian Baptist Church. About three blocks down was a, another church with an even bigger sign that read the even greater Macedonian Baptist Church. And sometimes I think that what we do in, in, in ministry and service is in order that we might be even bigger and even greater than, than the church before us or the one three blocks down the street. Now let me tell you what service is. Listen, watch. Service ministry is the expression of our experience with God's mercy. Now I want you to read again with me verses 13, verse 13 and verse 16. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy. Now look at verse 16 and attach verse 13 to verse 16. And yet for this reason, for this reason, I found mercy in order that in me as the foremost, Jesus might demonstrate His perfect patience. Now let me tell you what he's saying. He's saying, I was shown mercy so that in me, Jesus might be demonstrated. And mercy and service are related. Watch this carefully. Mercy is not God saying to you, I forgive you for what you've done. That, that's a part of it. But it's the negative part of it. Mercy is not God saying to you, I forgive you for what you've done. Mercy is God saying to you, I forgive you for what you've done. And I give you a chance to make it good. For service, what's this? Is just the reward of God's mercy. It's the reward of God's mercy. I serve God because He's good enough to let me. The Olympic Games grew out of the ancient Greek world. And some of the greatest athletes in, in the Olympic Games, the ancient Greek Games, were the Spartans. And they had this practice in, 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 in this group that, that if you became a champion of the Olympics, you you won the right to stand by, your, by the king at the next battle. And there was this Spartan wrestler who was, who was picked to win, and some men came to him with a bribe. They offered him a great amount of money if he'd throw the match. And he, and he, and he refused. And he strove in this Olympic Games and won. And these men came up to him kind of sneering, and they said, Okay, now what do you got? What do you got to show for it? And this is what he said. I have won the right to stand before the king in the next battle. What he was talking about was this. That these Spartans, when the king went out to battle, the one who won the Olympic Games had the privilege of standing in front of the king like a shield. So before the arrow pierced the heart of the king, it had to pass through the body of the Spartan hero. 
You see, serving God is a reward of His mercy. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, never got over that. He was awed by it. And he had a placard behind his desk that read in bold, and was written in bold print, Remember thou wast a bond slave in the land of Egypt. And he wrote his own epitaph that was inscribed on his tombstone. It went like this, John Newton Cleric, once infidel, libertine slave trader, was by the mercy of the Lord Jesus preserved, restored, pardoned, and called to preach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ whom he had so laboriously sought to destroy. What John Newton was saying was this, God has been good enough to give me the privilege of serving Him. Now, if you do not feel this impelling, compelling desire to serve the Lord, it's because you have forgotten His mercy. You listen to me. Some of you may say, well, I'm just, I don't like the preacher, I don't like the church, I'm going to quit. I've just quit. Listen, that's not why you've quit. Why you've quit is because you have forgotten how good God's been to you. And Chuck Swindoll tells about this woman who had this spastic child, had brain damage, could hardly hear him when he spoke, could hardly understand him when he spoke. He, he had no control over his body, and so, but he could sing. Amazing enough, he, the little boy could sing. You could understand him when he would sing. And so one morning, some of the staff members got to church early, and they were walking down the hall of the church, and they heard somebody singing, God is so good. God is so good. And, and they went in this room, and there stood this woman with this little boy in her hand, and they were singing. Now, why do you, why do you think she was there every Sunday morning early to serve the Lord in that capacity? Because she never lost sight of the fact of the goodness of God. Our service is an expression of our experience with His mercy. Second, our service is an entrustment of a message. Look at verse 11 with me. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Now that word in the Greek means to trust somebody with a valuable. I've been trusted, entrusted with the gospel. The gospel is the glorious good news of a happy God. And so God has this scheme for man's redemption. God the Father planned it in eternity past. God the Son came and, in, and affected it in His dying and His resurrection, and the Holy Spirit has come to indwell us to testify of it. And so this glorious gospel of a happy God has been entrusted to us as a valuable. One day Jesus got with His disciples, and watch this. He's just getting ready to leave the earth, and He says to them, He says, The Holy Spirit whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth which proceeds from the Father, he shall bear witness of me, and you shall bear witness of me also. You know what he's saying? He's saying that in the scheme of God, in the plan of God for world redemption, it's not just the Holy Spirit, it's you and the Holy Spirit. It's me and the Holy Spirit. 
And in some strange and marvelous, awesome way, God has limited His plan of redemption to your involvement and mine. And the New Testament is replete with illustration after illustration of these parables on stewardship. A steward is a person who is entrusted with the master's possessions and valuables until he returns and asks for an accounting. And the measure or the point of that accounting is at the point of man's faithfulness. That's why Paul says, he counted me faithful. Because the measure of, of accounting is always at the point of our faithfulness to the, to the stewardship. How, 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 you, how, how faithful have you been? The, the, the point about ministry is not the size of your ministry, but the sort of it. And so Paul says that every man's work will be tested as to its sort. It's not the quantity, it's the quality. And so the Lord returns and He's entrusted you with his, this glorious good news for you to pass on. It's just come to you on its way to someone else. How, how faithful have you been with that? Listen to me, folks. Sometime, somewhere, in order for you to be faithful to the stewardship that God has entrusted you, sometime, somewhere, you're going to have to open your mouth and give testimony of Jesus. Let me ask you this. Show of hands. How many of you were saved because you picked up a track and read it one time and got saved? How many of you? Lift your hands. Nobody? How many of you was saved because one day you, you turned on the radio or television and, and there was this preacher preaching on radio or television you got saved watching television or listening to the radio? How many of you were saved that way? Anybody? Nobody? How many of you was saved in a Billy Graham crusade somewhere? Anybody saved it? How many of you were saved because some person, some mother, some father, some Christian neighbor, some Christian friend introduced you to Jesus Christ. How many of you were saved because of that? Almost, look at that. Isn't that amazing? Somewhere, sometime, you're going to have to open your mouth and you're going to have to bear witness of Jesus if you're going to be faithful in serving Him. Now somebody would say, a lady said to her pastor one time, she said, well, my life is my witness. I witness with my life. She wished she never had said that because the preacher said, lady, that's the most audacious, arrogant thing I've ever heard. Because what you're saying is this, unlike Jesus, my life is so pure and so holy, I don't have to testify. Well, he said, your life is to substantiate your witness and not be a substitute for it. Somewhere, somewhere, sometime, you and I, if we're going to be faithful to God, we're going to have to bear witness. I heard about this guy who was sitting out on the patio and with this fellow and and they were talking about sharing the gospel. This other guy was saying, well, you know, I, I live a good life, and I, I really not, I don't know how to do that, so I live a good life. And He said, I noticed this ant, little red ant, was kind of crawling up there, and it crawled up, because it was a patio table, there was a bunch of sugar spilt on it. And this, he said, I, I was watching, he said, this ant walked, kind of crawled over there to that sugar, and he said, the ant turned around and headed back the way it came. And he said, I just, in my mind, I imagined that old red there crawled over there to somewhere in that 
red ant mound and stepped inside the door and said, Hey guys, folks, you won't believe this, but I found a carload of sugar turned over out on the freeway. And everybody in that red ant mound jumped up, and everybody in there liked sugar, and started out the door, and he said, Now hold it, get in line. If you guys get in line, I'll take you and I'll show you where the sugar is. And he said, while we were sitting there, I was watching, and here comes this line of ants across the, across the patio, up the leg of that table, and across the freeway to that spilt carload of sugar. Kind of like what missionary said, that, that this doctor healed this man's eyesight who lived out in the bush. And, and one day he said he heard this commotion. He looked out the hospital window and he saw the same man standing there with a rope and there was about 10 men from the bush who were blind holding on to the rope. Somewhere, sometime, you and I are going to have to open our mouths and tell people what we, we found. And that's what Peter meant when he said, Sanctify the Lord in your heart and be ready to give a defense of the hope which lies in you. Let me tell you what he said there in the Tidal paraphrase. You make Jesus the Lord of your life, and then you get ready to tell people what's going on with you, because they're going to ask you. Let me ask you this. Is, anybody, is, is there anybody asking you, coming up to you and saying to you, hey, I want you to explain what's going on in your life. Tell me what's happening with you. And by the way, if a person bears witness of Jesus with his life and not his lips, he gets all the glory, not Jesus. And totally unlike Jesus, when people came up to him and they said, Hey, Jesus, tell us what it is about you that is so remarkable. We want some of that. Jesus would say, Well, I'll, let me explain. I just do what I saw the Father do. I just say what I hear the Father say. Service is the expression of our experience, is the entrustment of the message, finally, serving, service, is being empowered by God's own might. Now look at verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has empowered me, strengthened me, strengthened me. Now I need to say two things about this, so hang in here. Two things. First of all, that strengthening is a self-contained strength. By that I mean it does not, it's not how many talents you have or how, many, how well educated you are, how gifted you are. It's, it's not that which is from the outside, you see. It's not how trained you are, skilled you are, talented you are, gifted you are. This empowering is something that happens on the inside. So, that, so what he's saying is this, that, that I've been placed into service and I have in me a dynamic, a dynamic that empowers me for everything. That means that the dumbest dummy in this room, which probably me, the dumbest dummy in this room, the most severely handicapped person in here, the person who has the least of all the talents, that person, that person, empowered by God, is sufficient, is sufficient for His service, ministry. You believe that? Well, I can tell you're really caught up with that. 
It's not only a self-contained enablement. It is a sustained enablement. You need to see this in the Greek. What he says, he strengthened me, it's in the linear action present tense. And it means he continues to strengthen me. It's a continuous, stable continuity of power, empowerment. He just keeps on empowering me. It's more than dynamite. What he's talking about here is not dynamite. He's talking about this dynamic that indwells you and continually strengthens you and pours His life into you and His power. Now, the Apostle Paul answers a question that everybody asks. He answers it two ways. The question is, why, does, why did He appoint me? Why did He strengthen me? Why did He strengthen me? Well, he empowers, because, isn't it true that everybody wants to know how to get into the power? How, how do you get a hold of the power? How, why did the Lord in, empower him? Well, was it because he was, you know, this special person, gifted and talented? No, he empowered him, first of all, because he found him faithful. Now watch. The finding of Paul as faithful occurs at the beginning of his ministry and not at the end of it. In fact, he found him faithful at the point where the Apostle Paul could say, I'm the chief of sinners. Now most of the time we look at it this way, that at the end the Lord will take the book, look, see what you've done, and he'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. No, this, this, this found faithful occurs at the beginning. And the law of expectation comes into play here. And every psychologist knows what the law of expectation is. The law of expectation is that you become what people think you'll be. So if a guy says to his son, you dummy, you'll never amount to anything, that's probably what'll happen to him. He'll be a dummy and never amount to anything. But if the father says to him, hey, you're special, you're gifted, you're going to be somebody, something, he'll become that. Now what Paul is saying is this, the Lord found me faithful and he put me into service and so I became what I am. Isn't that a paradox? The second thing, second reason is, that he empowered him is because he appointed him. Now I've said this enough, I don't have to say it again, just to remind you that if you've been saved, you have a divine appointment of service in this world. You have a place where God has placed you and appointed you to serve Him. You say, well, where is that? I say to you, where do you work? You ask, where is that? I ask you, where do you live? Because where you are, if you're saved, is where God has appointed you to serve. And if He has appointed you to serve Him there, that's His guarantee that you will be successful because He doesn't sponsor any failures. So if you're working over there in the, in, at the, at the uh, assembly line, God appointed you to serve Him there. You, you say, you mean that I can serve Jesus out there? At the bank, at the school, at the ditch? That's right. Because if you've done it unto the least of these, Jesus said, you've done it unto me. Now you know, you know Mother Teresa. You know her, don't you? You may not know her personally. You know about her. This Albanian nun that started this uh, home for the dying in Calcutta. Listen to this story. 
Mother Teresa said one morning after the Mass, she got the nuns together and said to them, you saw the priest, how he handled the body of Jesus with love and tenderness. He was holding the Eucharist, the, the sacrament. You, you saw how, how the priest handled the body of Jesus with love and tenderness. Today, she said, you're going to touch the body of Jesus. Give it the same love and tenderness. Because Jesus, she said, comes to us in the sick and the homeless. Jesus comes to us in the distressing disguise of the poor. Love that statement. In the distressing disguise of the poor. And she said later on that afternoon, one of those nuns came running in. Her eyes were wide, like, looked like two fried eggs. And she said, Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa, I've been touching the body of Jesus for three hours. And she said, well, tell me about it, dear. She said, well, they brought in this man. They, they found him in the gutter. He was covered with maggots. I've been touching the body of Jesus. And C.S. Lewis said this. I hope you're listening. He said, outside the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest thing that is ever presented to your senses. Now that's shouting ground. I'm on my shouting point. Young people, listen to that statement again. Outside the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor, your neighbor, that person who sits next to you in school, who works next to you at the assembly line, outside the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest thing ever presented to your senses. For inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Anthony Campolo tells this story and I'm through. It was during the Nazi uh, devastation of the Jews that they took all these Jews out and they lined them up they dug this trench and they put them in it they were all totally naked totally naked and they put them in this, this trench and they strafed them with, with machine gun fire and they fell in this trench and there was this teenage boy and, and somehow he escaped the strafing. And when, he, when they fell in the trench, some bodies fell on top of him and they strafed those bodies and somehow he, he, he wasn't hit. And he crawled out of that trench after a while. They, they left him there waiting for some heavy equipment to come and bury the bodies. He crawled out and ran naked into the village. And he knocked on the door. This lady came to the door and when she saw him, she recognized him as a Jewish boy, frightened for her life. You couldn't hide the Jews. She slammed the door. And he ran to the next door, and he knocked on the door, and same thing happened. He's desperate now. He's, he's frightened beyond words, imagination. He's running for his life. He comes to the third door. He knocks on the door. When the man came to the door, he said, I am Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What are you going to do with me? The next to the sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest thing that will ever be presented to you. Now what are you going to do with him? 
seems to me that service is touching our neighbor with a love and tenderness with which we touch the body of Christ and with the same power. Now let's pray. Father, we thank you with habitual gratitude that you found us faithful and called us to salvation and service and that the expression of our experience of that mercy that delivered us when we were bond slaves in the land of Egypt is a gratitude, is a reward of your mercy. We thank you that you not only forgave us when you saved us, but you forgave us with a chance to make it good. And I pray you'll forgive us. We've taken lightly your mercy. I pray for the lost, for the saved. I pray for the lost that they might come to know Jesus as personal Savior. And I pray for the saved. We might take seriously the call to the ministry, call to service, call to church membership. For I pray in Jesus' name for His sake. Now in a spirit of prayer, I invite you to stand this morning. Those of you who would like to come and receive Christ, on the very first word, I invite you to come. And those of you who want to come this morning and say, I, I've been negligent of the call, negligent of the call. I want to commit myself to ministry and service to touch the life and the body of Jesus. Maybe you want to join the church like that young man in the first service. Come on the first word while we sing.